welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Happy Hump Day, everybody, and welcome to Fantasy Baseball today, May 6th. Frank here, joined by new nicknames here on the show. We got CPT, Pocket Aces, and Scotty Dubs. That would be Adam Azer. That would be Chris Towers. Uh, you went out of order here. Scott I'm not White. CPT. You're not CBT. I'm well, Pocket, Pocket Aces. Aces. Yeah. But Are you cool with that nickname? You messed up the order. Yes, I am. Uh, Rich Rebar gave that to me on a football podcast last fall. Um, blew my mind. It was excellent. And some people call me pocket aces. So sure. It's better than Big Kane too. It is definitely better than Big Kane too. And it makes people <laughs> think that I play poker, which I really don't. <laughs> That's arguable. Uh, Scott. Scotty Dubs. Are you alright with that one? How we doing? That's fine. The one that uh the one that has floated around the CBS sports office for the longest is Scotty Blanco. Scotty but... Blanco, yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah. But Scott Dubs is fine. If you want to do that, I'm I'm cool with nicknames. CPT, are you a Chris Paul fan? Is that how you came up with that, or did you literally just put your initials together? Yeah, I think we talked about this already. <laughs> my initials are Chris Paul. My my full name is Chris Paul Towers. Christopher Paul Towers. I the guess. fake Chris uh, Paul. I was originally, fun fact, uh, I was originally going to be named Ethan Allen, and somebody talked to my or Ethan, not Ethan Allen, Ethan. Uh, and someone talked my parents out of that, which is, I think, good. I don't think I would be a good Ethan. I actually think you would. I don't know why. Ethan Towers. I feel like Ethans are, Sounds about are right. much better looking than me. Yeah. Ethan Towers. Give yourself some credit. It's an amazing sounding name, right? Yeah. It sounds way more hipster, too. It it's just like mostly, fits the persona. It's mostly just because Towers is a really great last name. Well, yeah, like, but humbly you, pair, speaking. you pair it with something as blah as Chris. It it kind of it kind of wow. deflates. It. What's the point? What's the point of even having the last name? You're just gonna throw Chris in front. Come on, exactly. <laughs> wow, I don't have a nickname strong, outside of I don't know. Strong words from very unique named <laughs> Scott, Adam, and Frank. <laughs> you know, I think it's time to get Frank a nickname. So that's our challenge to our listeners. Tweet, tweet us, tweet me. At Adam Azer. I'm gonna, yeah, I was. Yeah, let's do I've this. Been, I've been called Frank the Tank, but I don't know. I, I don't oh, really view myself as a tank. Too, you're too small to be a Frank the Tank. Yeah. I could Frankie be a Frank Stamps. the Tank. Frankie Frank- Stamps is one that I've heard. Frankie Stamps isn't bad. Today on the show, we're going to talk about those loser Yankees <laughs> and how they are so bad at handling injuries because we got an update on Aaron Judge. And guess what? It's May 6th and... There's not really much of an update on Aaron Judge. We're also going to take a look at the Rangers' new park. There was um, a tweet that came out of some quotes from Joey Gallo about how the the ballpark is currently being handled, how you know how the ball's flying in their new ballpark. So we'll talk about that. And a little bit later on, we have some head-to-head points, 101, general strategy talk when it comes to head-to-head points leagues. We've received a few more emails and I've gotten a few tweets recently about how come you guys don't talk about head-to-head points. Don't worry. We're going to get there. We love head-to-head points here. Scott and myself, it's our favorite format. I don't know about everyone else here on the show, but I know for at least Scott and myself, <laughs> head-to-head I, points is the game. I, ha- I have a nickname for Frank. What is it? The Human Consonant. <laughs> I, you know what? I was going to go with something like that, too, because there's just so many consonants. Yeah. There are a lot. 
You're there you are, are you are like ninety percent like you have two names and two vowels, and that's it. <laughs> How many people can say that? I've got three vowels just in my first name, and two more coming back around in both the middle and last name. Wait a second. What did you say, Chris? How many vowels? Oh, Christopher. Christopher. Yeah. Oh, that's Which, by BS. the way. Chris has one. Chris has one vowel, and Towers has two. So don't get all high and mighty here. Christopher has man. three. My name is my my legal birth name is Christopher. Both his is names. Franklin. Is hey, it Franklin? It's Franklin. All right. The Yankees do not know how to handle injuries. It's May sixth. Aaron Judge still going for another CT scan in a couple of weeks. Reminder. James Paxton, Luis Severino, and Aaron Judge all had signs of injuries late last season, going into the playoffs, even in late September. I believe there was some footage of when people believe Aaron Judge got hurt. He was diving for a ball. Uh, That happened in September, and it is now May 6th, and he is still dealing with this. Uh, Instead of opting for surgery throughout spring training like they should have done, or at least once the season was delayed, something that they should have done with Aaron Judge, uh, we're still just here waiting, and I think it's something that even when the season starts up, we might be dealing with. So I don't want to say that I definitely won't draft him at the right price because I think anybody could be had at the right price, but I currently have him as my outfielder 15 in my rankings. Scott, you have him as your outfielder 13. Is it time to lower Aaron Judge based on this most recent update? No, I mean let's see what the let's see what the CT scan shows. That is the update. We're going to find out what kind of progress it's made in terms of healing, but I I mean I I get your point. I was pretty critical of the Yankees this spring for their approach to injuries. They just seem way too relaxed about uh eh, we'll just give it some time and it's time that they could have been addressing it in a more definitive way. Um you know, this uh, in a way, the pandemic, I guess, kind of bailed them out from having to play all this time without some of their key players. But yeah, if, if Judge still ends up missing regular season time by the the time the season starts, it's it's going to uh, it's going to turn up the heat again on them and their approach to injuries. I I just think we need to wait and see. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing with everybody right now. Um, among the players who we expected to miss time at the start of the season with injuries, Judge appears to be the most questionable still, his availability. So it's it's definitely something to monitor. Yeah, that's my biggest takeaway is that we're getting updates on other players, Justin Verlander's throwing, that the groin is doing better to there, and he's someone who actually had surgery. Uh, we hear things from Mike Clevenger that he's throwing, and it's it seems like the only person who still their status is kind of up in the air is Aaron Judge. Over the past two weeks, NFBC drafts are still being ta- uh, still taking place. Aaron Judge's ADP is 61. He is outfield, outfielder 16 off the board. Why wouldn't you just take Adam? Why wouldn't you just take Eloy Jimenez, Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Stanton over somebody like Aaron Judge, just don't even give yourself the headache, although I guess you can argue Stanton gives you a headache as well. At least, you know, the the most recent update we got on Stanton is that he is progressing. We don't have that from Aaron Judge. Or just wait 30 to 40 picks later and take someone like Marcelo Zuna or Fran Reyes. I I just want to wash my hands of this Aaron Judge situation. How do you feel, Adam? I'm not quite there. I think that the players you're talking about are most likely not as good as Aaron Judge. And... 
perhaps not even close. Uh, I mean, Judge at his best is one of the best players in baseball. He's an on-base machine, hitting second for the Yankees. It's a ton of plate appearances. It's a ton of runs. His So <laughs> the weird thing is the RBIs aren't great for Judge because nobody pitches to him with runners in scoring position. Uh, I mean, I mentioned this a long time ago, but 2019 with runners in scoring position, his slugging percentage was 394. 2018 with runners runners in scoring position, his slugging percentage was 413. And his on-base percentage has been sky high both cases. So I think his numbers haven't been quite as good the last two years. One, because he's played through injuries. And two, because Judge has this weird thing where he's not knocking in a lot of runs because he's walking so much with runners in scoring position. But I think at his best, Aaron Judge, as we have said, could lead baseball in home runs. I think he could be much, much better than those guys. Like, not even close. So I'm not with you here. And I, we're still about two months away, probably, from the start of the season. So I think, Frank, I think you need to chill out, consonant man. <laughs> you you are freaking well, out for no reason here. Well, the thing is, I, I agree with Frank's general take that I just, I don't, for where I expect Aaron Judge to go, I don't want him. I, I think if he doesn't have this resolved by way of surgery, and if he does at this point, obviously he's still going to miss a lot of time. But if he doesn't, it's always going to be... It's it's one of those injuries that you could never be completely sure he's passed because the very act of swinging is what's going to aggravate it again. And that just may not be worth the headache for where I expect him to go now. Ranking him 13th in my outfielders, I haven't been getting him, so I, I'm not motivated to move him down based on that. Uh, but if... If 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 that changes, uh, like I'd, I'd, I'd only want to get him at, a, at what I felt was a real discount. Something I've learned about myself as a fantasy baseball player the past few seasons is that when it comes to injuries, I, I am I usually just stay away. Like guys like Carlos Correa, I've stayed away from the past couple of years. Uh, Judge, even going back to when you know draft season started, Stanton, I, these are just players that I, I typically worry about. Again, at the right price. Sure, but I typically yeah. tend to uh, be a little bit risk averse when it comes to players who are already hurt on May and and they're not getting better. Especially, I, I don't, I don't with feel Judge. like the fantasy baseball community approaches them in a way that's consistent at all. I, I think some people just get totally buried when they get hurt, and that's a great time to seize those values. But then sometimes it's just like yeah, like it's like people don't want to be worried about it the, the player's so good that they don't want to worry about it I, I mean the example that comes to mind for me is Francisco Lindor uh last year and it turned out fine people like me who stayed away I guess you could say we overreacted because he had a great season but he didn't fall enough to justify the risk in my eyes so I didn't end up with any shares of him other hand Clayton Kershaw plummeted to round seven or eight with that oh, shoulder great, injury what he was a great dealing pick. with last spring <laughs> I got a lot of him because yeah. that was too far. It was an overreaction in my eyes, and it turned out great, too. They both turned out great, uh, but one you ended up paying up for still and one you didn't. I think a big part of the issue when it comes to how fantasy players, fantasy analysts, everyone really reacts to injuries is it's so much of the game is based in uh, you know, the scientific method uh, and generally just like really rational, uh, cool-headed analysis, uh, you know, especially now when everybody cites StatCast and fan graphs and everything. Like, we're, we're so smart. Uh, and I think injuries are the one place that 
we're still just reacting, uh, you know, like cavemen a little bit, you know, it's still like, it's like the, the lizard brain, you know, like we, we're not, I don't think, and I'm not saying this is necessarily the right or wrong way to, to approach injuries. Uh, but we just don't know, I think is the biggest thing when it comes to like how you should approach a player like Aaron judge right now, because people have tried to come up with ways to predict injuries and, and put probabilities on it. Um, and you know, there, there's some decent stuff out there, but I think we tend to be, uh, and this goes for fantasy football, fantasy baseball, everything. We tend to be like black and white when it comes to injuries in a lot of senses. Mm-hmm. It's either you're injury, you're injured and you're, or you're injury prone and we have to downgrade you significantly or you're not. And so it's not necessarily, we don't necessarily apply those standards consistently. Um, a lot of it's based on like, if a guy gets hurt on September 15th and misses five months, we're not as likely to downgrade that person as if they got hurt on June 1st and missed the rest of the season. And so there's a lot of stuff like that where it, it definitely plays into like these kind of different biases that we have. And, and um, I don't know, I think injuries and, and this should be obvious by, you know, my love of Giancarlo Stanton this year, mm-hmm. I think injuries are one place where you can gain an edge. Um, yeah. In, in, in a time when it's really hard to gain an edge in fantasy baseball, especially when it comes to drafting, uh, you can gain edges in season, but I, I think when it comes to drafting specifically, uh, injuries are one place to gain an edge. I think that's one place that the, the market is still relatively inefficient, and I'm not sure it ever won't be. Well, that that's I, I that is an area where I think people are just kind of guessing still. Yeah. They're just kind of going on their gut but i i do think the other one is the one that i'm exploiting and where i'm seeing a market inefficiency and that's with those one year yeah uh, mid-career breakthrough types just the 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 this huge production that seemingly comes out of nowhere and it's backed up by all the data that we'd normally gauge legitimacy by but because there isn't much of a track record supporting it People don't really know how to approach them. They downgrade them to some degree, but how much? And I, I think it's, I think for most, it's gotten to be too much, which is why I'm so high on those guys, uh, generally speaking. That voice you heard was not Chris Towers. That was Ethan Towers, our fantasy psychologist. <laughs> I like when you dive into like the mindset of like the fantasy owners. I, I just, pretty interesting. I, I, there's a lot of things about, and it's not just fantasy. It's it's sports fans in general. There's a lot of like. Like, have you ever, as a as a baseball fan, thought that your team had a good third base coach? Because I've never experienced that. I've never witnessed a fan base go, you know, the third base coach is doing a really good job in deciding when and where to send runners. It seems to me like every single fan base thinks their third base coach is just woefully incompetent because there are like four times a year where they send a runner that they shouldn't or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's just those those events stick out in your mind so much that when you're dealing with something uh, that you don't actually have numbers for, and it's the same for like bunting and like every team, every fan base thinks their team is like woefully in incompetent when it comes to hitting with the bases loaded. <laughs> I've, um, I've noticed every every team's fan base thinks its manager is bad at managing its yeah. bullpen. And so because when we look at like, Clayton Kershaw, you can say, 
Well, he allows 2.5 runs every nine innings he pitches. And so even if you remember the five times when, you know, he really blew up in the middle of a season, that's not what sticks with you. And so there are all these things uh, about sports that, that, you know, psychologically we, we have explanations for, and I think you can find ways to, to take advantage of them. This conversation kind of went in a different direction, but the point is you should draft Giancarlo Stan. <laughs> right, right. It all comes back to Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, being a third base coach is a lot like being a fantasy commissioner. It is a thankless job. But I also wanted to get to some another news item regarding the new Rangers park, which is now Globe Life Field last year. And since I believe it was like 1994, it was Globe Life Park. So it's kind of annoying to try and remember the differences, but it was Globe Life Park. Now it's Globe Life Field. And I saw a quote from Joey Gallo that I found uh, very interesting. The dimensions are a tad bigger in this new ballpark. This isn't his quote. I'm just, this is still me talking. Center yeah. field is 407 feet rather than 400 feet uh, in the old field. And Joey Gallo had this to say, it's playing big. It is definitely going to be a pitcher's park. We are trying to get those fences moved in a little bit. It's a little <laughs> deep. I'm not going to lie. It's a little deep to center. If Joey Gallo's saying that, it might actually mean something because Joey Gallo is one of those guys that has power that you think can translate anywhere. So, Scott, I mean, it's a little bit like the Aaron Judge. You don't want to overreact too much, but is this something that you were already kind of baking into your ranking of Rangers players, or is this something where, okay, you read this quote, you see the news about how the new ballpark is playing out, and, okay, I might have to adjust things a little bit here. I'm not... I'm not sure, because just looking at the layout and the dimensions, I had the opposite impression, and I'm not sure i'm I'm not sure whether Joey Gallo's opinion for this particular and this particular uh, for this particular concept should count for more because he's he's subject to his own biases, and I think any time you make a change to a player's environment, there's going to be some uh you know some fear there um I, I I look mainly at the gaps, how deep the gaps are when uh, determining whether a park seems to be hitter friendly or pitcher friendly, because that's where most of the home runs are going to be hit. The right center gap at the old stadium was 390 and it's 372 now. That's a huge difference. Left field, it's 374 now, it was 377 before. So about the same, but actually a little closer in the new park. Center field is deeper. I wonder, because there's some, there's some more interesting things going on with the fence at the new stadium where it juts out more suddenly in areas and it juts back in in areas. The, the old stadium was more of a, of a true rounded fence. And so I'm wondering if that, if something's happening there in the way it plays that I'm not accounting for. I'd be interested somebody better than at geometry than me if they could figure out how how much surface area the outfield <laughs> grass is in one stadium versus another because you know that would probably tell us something too. I, but yeah, I don't I don't take much from this quote, I guess long story short. So I did a an overlay um of the two park dimensions and you know it, assuming that they are drawn to scale um it's like Right field is basically the same. Center field's a little deeper. And then left field is sort of a little bit of both. There's a part in like the true power alley where it is, like Scott said, closer. 
Uh, but then closer towards the line, it juts out a little further. Um, I think the what's interesting is, you know, I, I don't know if they... I'm trying to find a picture of their... Uh, of the batting practice session that he did yesterday. I think I found one in it. It looks like it was just done in the middle of the day with the roof open. And that's going to be, I think, uh, an even bigger key for how this park plays because the the temperature is so extreme in Texas. And, and when you're playing outdoors, you're getting all of that heat and the impact of, of that on the flight of the ball. If they're playing indoors with the, with the air conditioning on, you know, it could be 30 degrees cooler in the in the summer in Texas than uh, it is outside. And that could actually have a an impact on how far the ball flies, I assume. Look, I'm not I'm not there. There are smarter people than me who are actually going to run the numbers on this stuff and, and can tell us more. But my understanding is that would be the case. And so my expectation is it will play. um a little bit more pitcher friendly, but I would be surprised if it wasn't still a, a hitter's park. It, maybe it just won't be, you know, one of the most extreme hitter's park like, like it has been since Globe Life Park opened. And it's also very confusing that they're both Globe Life. It is very confusing. And I guess Chris doesn't have a persona that's also like a physics major that no, can talk about no, the I, science of the, of the ballparks. I, uh... <laughs> I had to take Algebra 2 twice, and they finally put me into Algebra 2 in my senior year, and it was the Algebra 2 for the seniors we want to get out of here uh, <laughs> class. You know, multiple choice tests, no attendance taken. There's nothing wrong I, with multiple choice, Chris. I mean, I'm, it's a lot better than the, the alternative. <laughs> you know, except when they have one of those multiple cho- choice tests where there's an E that is permanently none of the above and they actually make use of that as consistently as they make use of everything else so you, it, it it just it just eliminates whatever advantage you have of taking a multiple choice test you know you know either the, way the answer could be anything the point is i can do some math <laughs> but there's a there's that figuring out the the heat the impact of heat that's that is far beyond what my brain is capable <laughs> of doing <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you know, I thought you were going to wrap up your discussion by telling everyone to draft Giancarlo Stanton once again, but well, yeah, thankfully you it didn't go. Well, yeah, draft Giancarlo Stanton. No, nah, I don't think you should. Uh, we're going to talk about how the new Globe Life field could potentially help one of the Rangers starting pitchers when we come back. We will deep dive Lance Lynn. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Chris, you mentioned that you had a stat from Derek Cardi regarding Globe Life Park. What did, what did you have there? Yeah, Derek Cardi is one of those smart people who actually knows how to do math, real math. Uh, and he said that he expects, based on his projection system, which does incorporate temperature uh, and, and other effects, about a 2% reduction in WOBA and an 8% reduction in home runs for 
uh, hitters at Globe Life Park. Globe Life Field, excuse me. See? Super confusing. <laughs> Globe Life Field is the new one. Right. Globe and Life so, Park is the old one. So, yeah. I, like I said, I think less hitter-friendly for sure. I would guess that still makes it somewhat hitter-friendly, but it'll probably be a more neutral environment. Adam, the point that we got to with Globe Life Field, and apologies, I, I teased that we were going to get to the Lanceland deep dive. We'll do that tomorrow so that we have enough time to actually dive into Lanceland because I do think that he's a very fascinating player. So I want to give him uh, the correct amount of time that he deserves. Adam, you mentioned that you had some splits regarding Danny Santana. It sounds like the new Globe Life Field, even with everything that we've talked about today, the quotes from Joey Gallo, the analysis from our physics major, uh, Chris Towers here, it sounds like it is going to play more towards being a neutral pitcher's park, especially when that roof is closed and the air conditioner is on. So what do you have regarding Danny Santana, Adam? Massive split difference here. 981 OPS at home, 741 on the road, 19 home runs at home, 9 on the road. Reminds me of Jerickson Profar a little bit, and he moved to Oakland. That was worse than GLF Globe Life Field. But this is a guy that I don't trust as a hitter anyway. He was a good hitter in 2014 and 2019. He was horrible, horrible <laughs> in between. So this is just another strike against Danny Santana. Danny Santana, current ADP, 133.6. I think people are looking at him more in roto leagues because of what he can provide uh, in terms of steals without completely sinking your power. But... Yeah, it's still a, a volatile profile. Lots of strikeouts there. You heard the splits from Adam. So I worry about Danny Santana. I feel like that's kind of the consensus most people do. Uh, I've never heard. Of, I've never heard of anyone excited to draft Danny Santana. It's just one of those situations. Man, I need more steals. Oh look, Danny Santana's still there. It's like Danny Santana or Scott Kingery are your choices at that stage of the draft. And some people go Santana. He at least makes hard contact. Uh, if we're going to compare him to Jerickson Profar, Jerickson Profar makes very weak contact. So, I don't know. There's plenty of reason for skepticism about Danny Santana, but that's like the, if you want an optimistic take, that's that's the source of optimism. Head-to-head -head points leagues. I mentioned earlier the GOAT format, the greatest of all time, one that Scott and I love. Scott White's Dynasty League is a points league format here on Wednesdays on the show we like to do a little bit of general strategy discussion we've talked about trading we've talked about auctions as well uh, so now I wanted to get into some head-to-head -head points strategy in general Scott you know what are some of the biggest differences between head-to-head -head points leagues and roto leagues the biggest differences between head-to-head -head and roto are uh, what's what contributions are scored and how they're weighed relative to each other so, I mean, the, what what roto or category for category formats forces you to do is weigh everything equally, which is why we've ended up in the scenario where base stealers are valued so much above everything else, just because there's a scarcity in that category and it's weighed equally to home runs, even though home runs are more valuable to the real game. When points format, you get to assign whatever value you want to each st statistic, and then it all goes into a big point pool, you know, fantasy football scoring, basically. Uh, so you can weigh home runs more appropriately relative to steals, and that 
pulls down the the base dealers to I think a level that's more appropriate. But in addition to that, you have stats that a category league, at least the traditional one, went away at all, like walks for hitters, uh, strikeouts for hitters, oftentimes doubles, triples, uh, basically everything a player can contribute, you can score, and it gives you. I think it makes for a fairer, uh, fairer estimation of what a player's worth is. It, it's more, it's more uh, comparable to his real life value and fairer in that way. And a reminder of what the CBS scoring is, and I'm not just saying this because I now work with CBS Sports. I have always kind of gravitated towards the point format that CBS uses because there's other points leagues out there that use different formats, but. I've always gravitated toward this, and I, I think it's a great way to value both hitters and pitchers in this format. One point per single, two points per doubles, three points per triples, uh, four points for a home run, one point for a walk, for a hit-by-pitch, for a run, for an RBI, two points for a stolen base, minus one for caught ceiling, and minus half a point for batter strikeouts. And for pitchers, you get three points per inning, so one point per out that a pitcher records. Uh, an additional half point per strikeout. You get seven points for a win, three points for a quality start, minus five points for a loss. You lose a point for a walk, earned run, hit, or hits batsman allowed, and then seven points for a save as well. So that's that's just a review of the, the head-to-head points scoring. Um, Adam, you know, what type of hitter do you target in this format typically? Is it good plate discipline? Do you technically lean towards hitters in good offenses? Do you try to find guys that are going to be leadoff men so that they see more plate appearances throughout the course of the year? Um, what type of, what's your hitter hitter prototype that you look for in a points league? Well, it's not like the hitter rankings are completely different than that of a Roto league, but a guy like Alex Bregman versus a guy like um, Ronald Acuna, in a Roto league, Acuna clearly goes ahead, and in a points league, to me, Bregman clearly goes ahead because plate discipline is super important, uh, and steals really aren't. Not to say that steals don't count. Two points is, is very valuable, but but plate discipline and all the other categories, you know, they, they count too. So so listen, uh, plate discipline is the, is the one thing that's going to change things the most. After that, at-bats do matter. Like, I like DJ LeMahieu a lot more in a points league than I do in a roto league because I think there's going to be a good amount of statistical regression I think he just had basically a very lucky, very charmed year. But I also think he's going to lead off for the Yankees, and leading off in a great lineup is huge. George Springer, uh, more va- valuable in both formats for sure. I like him in both formats. More valuable in a points league. He is a plate appearance machine. He's a run-scoring machine. Um, that's huge. So plate discipline first, plate appearances next. That would probably be it. And you don't even, you pretty much don't pay attention unless you're in a daily format to guys who sit versus lefties or righties I will say that I tend to target hitters that are in good offenses as well because if you look at hitters inside the top 100 in points leagues last season the Dodgers had five the Astros had five the Twins had five the Nationals had five the Red Sox had four the Braves had four the Oakland A's had four the Giants the Marlins and the Tigers combined for zero players inside zero hitters inside the top 100 last year um and this is kind of like a dfs take on on points leagues as well where in dfs you want hitters in the top half of lineups because they're going to see more plate appearances which means they're going to have more opportunities to earn you fantasy points so that is i mean we can't 
you know, completely pre- predict what a lineup is going to look like, but we have a good idea. And I like to target hitters in the top half of really good lineups just because they're going to see more plate appearances and more opportunities than other hitters in, yeah, in bad I mean, lineups. Volume is king in a right. points league. Uh, efficiency only matters in as much as it helps you rack up more points. And so, you know, if a guy hits 300, that's great. But a guy could hit 250 in a points league and be a lot more valuable. Um, if he walks a lot, if he hits for more power. Uh, like and, a Reese like, Hoskins. And, and yeah, I mean, in his case, like you do also want to... You know, one of the reasons why Ronald Acuna is a lot was a lot better in Roto than points last season, he actually had a weirdly low doubles total. Um, I think it was only like 23 or something to go along with his 40-plus homers. And so that's another place where you you have to keep in mind that you're not just looking for home runs. You're not just looking for the specific categories in Roto. You're looking for that overall offensive production. And in Ronald Acuna's case, uh, you know, the fact that he does lead off helps, um, but there is there are things about his game that hold him back relative to the other elite hitters. Just to put a bow on hitters in points leagues, 19 of the top 20 hitters last year came from offenses that are were in the top half of the league in 2019. So just another yep. point there. Frank, do you think that those hitters were just the best hitters or do you think they benefited? Yeah. Well, from that's what I was wondering offense. about. Because I think of a guy like Trey Mancini, who was terrific in points leagues last year and obviously was in a bad lineup. I mean, a lot of those were bad lineups just didn't have any good hitters. Um, right, but he only he only had 97 RBIs. So okay, that's for, a lot of RBIs. No, but it really isn't. Not compared, <laughs> to, not compared to the Bellinger 115, Freeman 121, Alonzo 120, even LeMahieu. LeMahieu, a leadoff hitter for the Yankees, had more RBIs than Mancini. So, so you're saying maybe, Mancini, if he played in a lo- other another lineup, yeah. could have been even better. That's what yeah, I'm saying. I don't, I don't think anybody would argue against that. But LeMahieu strikes I mean, it, me as the guy. Obviously, who you can still be you can benefited. still be a really valuable hitter even in a bad lineup. Yeah, LeMahieu's the one that comes to mind as like the guy who benefited the most from the lineup. He ha- he had a great year, but to be a leadoff hitter and driving over a hundred runs, that's pretty rare. No, it's a fair question that you bring up, Adam, and and there's value on bad teams too. I mean, you know, based on what I'm saying, uh, there are a lot of players, and we see this every year, that are devalued because they are in in bad lineups, and at some point they become um, good values in terms of ADP. But I'm just laying out what the numbers say just, and they suggest have to, they have to hit better. Right. Then they have to make all, up for less yeah. plate appearances, for less RBI opportunities, less scoring opportunities. Yeah. All right. other things being equal, yeah, you'd you'd rather have the guy in the better line. Scott, starting pitchers, we talk about a lot when it comes to points league because they are so valuable. Is there you know, we were talking about the prototype of a hitter in a points league that you look for. Is there a prototype that you look for in a starting pitcher for a points league, or is it just try and get as many high-end elite starting pitchers as you possibly can because I tend to look at head-to-head points pitchers as the accumulators, the guys like Madison Bumgarner and Lance Lynn even, and maybe like a Corey Kluber are more valuable in this format versus Roto. Yeah, guys who don't pitch deep into games are just going to have a difficult time 
measuring up being anything more than like a two-week sleeper option because of what Chris was saying earlier, volume's so important, and I think it's it becomes clearest at starting pitcher. So many points are awarded for the innings themselves. In the CBS standard, it's three points for every inning, and, well, one point for every third of an inning, more accurately. And, uh, and then you get seven points for a win, three points for a quality start. So you want a guy who's going to go six-plus innings with consistency. Uh, the others just aren't going. So, so a guy like Joey Lucchese, let's say, you might have some hope he'll deliver a low whip, uh, decent enough ERA with an okay strikeout total in a roto league, but in a points league, he really does nothing for me except as like a streamer type, hoping that uh, in the right two-star week, he might be able to get enough between the two starts to measure up to uh, uh, what a good starter would score in a one-star week. I'd like to make a point about pitching and see how you guys feel about it. So in, if you just look at ADP, pitching in points leagues goes earlier than Roto, at least like right at the top, right? I mean, last year Heath drafted a team in our podcast points league where his first four picks were starting pitchers. And I think that has less to do with the scoring and more to do with the roster construction of our typical points leagues versus our typical Roto leagues. So in a typical Roto league, you have to fill out five outfielders, two catchers, middle infield, corner infield. And you're only adding going from seven pitching spots to nine pitching spots. A lot of people do like six starters, three relievers. Um, that's, you know, typically what I do. Maybe I'll do like five and four or whatever. In a points league, no middle infield, no corner infield, only three outfielders, only one catcher. Much easier to, f- to feel good about your lineup. So I think there's a perception that points leagues, that pitching is just so much more important, and that's why it goes earlier. I just think it's because the hitting is shallower and easier to fill. Whereas if we played a five outfielder points league with a corner infielder and a middle infield and, uh, infielder and two catchers, I think we would draft our pitching staffs our starting pitching anyway, more like we do when we do roto drafts than when we do a points league draft. It's a little of both. It's a little of both. I I think it probably is more what you're saying, and that doesn't get enough attention. I also do think starting pitching is more valuable in a points league because you can fake those ratio categories in a a categories league. Yeah, that's true. Just not even use many starting pitchers and, and end up with a really good ERA, a really good showing in ERA and whip and saves. But... In a points league, you can fake the quality of your starting rotation easier than you can in a roto league. I actually think the highest in starting pitchers relative to the rest of the starting pitcher pool is more valuable in a roto league because they're not having an, a negative impact. You know, in a roto league, they're bad or middling pitchers have a negative impact on categories a negative impact on era and whip and the going deeper into games makes that impact even worse going deeper into games is always a good thing in points leagues and so guys that may hurt you in certain ratios well those ratios aren't being measured directly yeah you lose points for the number of hits they give up the number of walks they give up but not nearly as many as you gain from them just pitching deeper into games so guys like marcus stroman dallas keichel they end up gaining a lot of value and become more useful in a points league. And like I was saying with Lucchese, you can take advantage of those two-start weeks better in a points league, a two-start option off the waiver wire. You have hope he's going to make a positive contribution for you, even if he's not such a great pitcher. In a roto league, you're, you're probably better off not starting him. 
Chris, the last point I wanted to make on starting pitching, and I brought this up recently when we recapped one of our head-to-head points mock drafts that we did, is looking at the point scores and how it was broken down last year among starting pitchers versus hitters. So in last season in 2019, there were two starting pitchers with 700 or more fantasy points. There were four starting pitchers with 600 or more fantasy points. There were 15 with 500 or more. In terms of hitters, zero with 700 or more. But there were also 10 with 600 or more fantasy points and 36 with 500 or more. So what that tells me is that there's more variance among starting pitchers and there's more parity among hitters. And I think that's another reason why we tend to over, not overvalue, but, you know, push starting pitchers up the board in this format. Yeah, I think um, it kind of makes sense. Like we were talking about volume earlier today or earlier in the podcast, and that's ultimately what this comes down to. There's a much wider spread uh, of pitching playing time than there is, or I guess pitching actual time. Uh, whereas for hitters, you know, the difference between the number three hitter on the best offense and the number three hitter on the worst offense is probably like 60 plate appearances per year, which isn't nothing. Uh, and that's valuable. That's why you want to target those guys on the good teams. But um, you're going to get those plate appearances even on a bad team. And so there's just there's more opportunity for those hitters um, than there are for the pitchers. The pitchers, there's, what was it, five pitchers through 200 innings last season? It was an incredibly no, low number. It was, I believe it was 15 that had okay. 200 or more. But it, it, more it has five. been trending down. Yeah, it, Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I've been doing this, um, this like greatest fantasy baseball seasons draft. And that's one of the things you really notice when looking back at, at older seasons is, you know, even as recently as, the the early part of this of the last decade, you had guys throwing 240, 250 innings, not as often. Uh, now you're probably going to lead the league if you throw throw 220. Right. I think that's what what Shane Bieber had last year, right? There was only one pitcher with 220 or more innings pitched in 2019. Yeah. Versus, I mean, if you just look back at 2015, there were seven that had 220 yeah. innings pitched. And speaking of 2015, there were 27 pitchers who threw 200 or more innings in every season since then, that number has been 15 or less. Yeah, and so the other thing about that is the elite pitchers are the ones who are throwing those innings, and those innings are also of higher quality. And so there's that compounding effect that starts to make those you know top five, top six starting pitchers even more valuable. Uh, you know, it, it compounds on itself, whereas you know with hitters there's certainly not an upper limit. You know, you, you can have a 700-point season from a hitter, but there are a lot more guys who can give you 600, 500, like you said. The last topic I want to hit on head-to-head points leagues is SPARPs, and they are very popular in this format. But before we do that, I just want to remind everybody to go listen to the State of Combat with Brian Campbell podcast. UFC 249 is this Saturday and is arguably the best card UFC has to offer. Go listen to their UFC 249 preview pod where Brian is joined by Hall of Famer Rashad Evans to break down the event and offer their expert picks for each fight. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. Uh, when it comes to Sparps, guys, it's something that's very popular. Um, I know that you know you guys have talked about you know 
grabbing Carlos Carrasco a little bit earlier in this format, maybe even Jesus Lazardo, because you can use that player who has, and a reminder, just Sparp is starting pitcher as relief pitcher. So you can use that starting pitcher who gives you an advantage uh, in your relief pitcher spot. But I want to question, you know, how much of advantage do you actually get? Because last season, Kenta Maeda and Ryan Yarbrough were the only two Sparps who ranked inside the top 20 relief pitcher scores. So is it just that there are more Sparps available this year of higher quality, and that's why we're excited about it? Because, I mean, last year, it seems like Sparps didn't really stand out very much in relief pitcher scoring. Yeah, 2020 is the year of the Sparp. Yeah, but that, I, I really feel like we were saying that about yeah, 2019. Yeah, I think we were. Um, <laughs> I can't even remember the names that failed so miserably, but we were definitely saying that. But that being said, Chris is 100% right. 2020 is where it's well, at, baby. <laughs> this, this, well, and, and, you know, that's I, I wrote about tight ends in football earlier this week, and that's something that I said there was like, we always say this is the year tight end oh, isn't yeah. going to stink, and then it always stinks. And I so, 100% agree with you on it that. It could be like that with Sparps this year, but... This year does seem like a special circumstance because we do have Carlos Martinez and Carlos Carrasco, who both pitched out of the bullpen last year, who have been, you know, before last season, they would have been top 20 starting pitchers that were drafting. Yeah. Uh, you have Hayes Luis Lazardo, who, if he's not the best pitching prospect in baseball, he's the best one who is going to be on a major league roster on opening day. Uh, you have AJ Puck, who has a ton of upside. You have Kenta Maeda, who you know, was only a top 20 relief pitcher last year, like you said, Frank, but this year we expect he will actually be allowed to stay in the rotation the whole season, maybe go deeper into games. So it's a different circumstance for him. And so it, it it's not necessarily like there's some kind of league-wide change. You know, next year, Jesus Lazardo, if everything goes right, will not be a spark. Carlos Martinez and Carlos Carrasco will not be sparks. And so I think it's most, and there are other names that I didn't mention that I'm sure we could throw out there for 2020. I know they're there were at least like eight that I wrote about in, in my relief pitcher preview um, who I like. So yeah. it, it's just a it's just a specific circumstance for this year. But we'll probably see something similar in 2021 with all the expanded rosters. I'm sure we'll have prospects uh, coming up who are going to be pitching out of the bullpen who might not otherwise. And they might come up uh, next year, 2021, and still have RP eligibility as a result of that. So. You know, I, I don't think it's a long-term trend, but I think there are specific circumstances that happened uh, in 2019 and are likely to happen in 2020 that will make the SPARP landscape a lot more interesting than it normally is. I can hear it now. 2021, uh -huh. <laughs> the year of the SPARP. Well, I could give you some numbers. Carlos Carrasco, 2017, he had just had a great year. He scored 564 fantasy points. 2018, Carrasco scored 523.5 fantasy points. He went 17 and 10 with a 338 ERA. Really good year for Carrasco, 523.5 fantasy points. Last year, Josh Hader scored 464 fantasy points. And so you are talking six, about 60 fewer fantasy points than Carrasco, 100 fewer fantasy points than Carrasco in Carrasco's best year. And when Chris makes this point, I can tell you. Some of the Sparps that we drafted last year in our uh, podcast points league. We'll have fun with it. Yeah, it's um, part of that is last year was an especially terrible year for closers. Uh, basically, all of the elite guys who were drafted as elite closers at the beginning of the season busted. And, um, you know, you look at the best closers like uh, 
you know, the best closers. Did anybody have like, 40 saves? Did anybody have 40 yes, saves? Yes, I think Kirby he, Yates was the only one. Okay. He had the, I, I've given this that before. He, I think we updated it. I think he had the lowest save total for a for the MLB leader since like the 1980s. Yeah. Yeah. And it was know, the lowest for a non-strike season since like 84. And Josh Hader had the fewest fantasy points of at least the last 10 years for the number one RP. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. Although that trend, maybe uh, that's yeah, I yeah, that's a trend. That's a thing because the way they look. I I mean, I expect the league, the league leader, or the number one reliever to be better than Hater was last year in terms yeah. of fantasy points. But I do expect fewer guys to reach a certain milestone just based on the way relievers are used. But still, I mean, Sparps are just so so valuable if if you if they hit, and well, you can take a gamble on them because if you if you miss on them, you can go to the waiver wire typically, and get a closer. Uh, well, there, there's a couple of things I think we're missing here, and I don't know how much time we have left, but um, I, I, I think either. a lot of the spar pipe is based on tradition, and it goes back to a time when players could be inserted into the rotation and expected to throw 180-plus innings right away, and innings, as we've talked about, are so valuable for starting pitchers in this format that they could just rack up points much easier back then. If you think about it, you know, guys who are carrying relief pitcher eligibility from the year before are normally just being introduced to the starting rotations, and they're handled so much more carefully these days that they're just not going to get the kind of innings total to finish high in the rankings. But on a, on a, they will have those moments where they have big scoring production, where they do have a, a six innings or seven inning start, where they get a win, and maybe it'll be in a two start week, and they could put together this fifty point week that a closer just couldn't touch. And yet, I mean, still because of efforts to preserve their innings, they may finish lower in the final rankings. So I, I don't think you should ever draft a Sparp thinking you're just going to stick that, you're just going to stick them in your relief pitcher spot and leave them there. It, it depends. Uh, this year, Carlos Carrasco and Carlos Martinez, yeah. you could. They're, they're exceptions because, yes, they are proven high-end starters already who just got relief pitcher eligibility for unusual circumstances. But the typical Sparp, somebody like Adrian Hauser, who I like a lot, like I'm not drafting him thinking he's just going to stay in my relief pitcher spot all year. I'll probably move him between relief pitcher and starting pitcher as needed. I'll probably bench him sometimes. But because only two relief spots are needed to, to be filled in a per team in a head-to-head uh, points league, that means you have plenty of closers to choose from, often on the waiver wire. You can just pick a guy up and plug him in, and he he may give you you know a three save week or whatever. So uh, that's that's part of what goes into why they may be a little overrated. Just the idea of the Sparp in general, but I also don't think the fairest way to judge them is exactly where they finish in the rankings. Yeah, and I would say for twenty twenty. Carrasco, Martinez, maybe Hauser, although it depends on him pitching well enough to stay in the rotation, and probably Julio Arias are the only Sparps that, you know, over 162-game season, if we were having it, I would prop those are probably the only four I would expect to throw uh, 100, and Kenta Maeda, sorry, uh, 150 or more innings. You know, I don't think Jesus Lazardo was going to get there this year. I don't think A.J. Puck was going to get there this year. Frank, would, you, would that... you like to hear the Sparps from last year? What do you got? Oh, I don't think you want to hear him. Now I feel bad. Well, uh, <laughs> Matt Strom. <laughs> now, oh, there are God. some I'm probably missing because they were listed as starting pitchers, but these yeah. are the guys that are just listed as RPs. Uh, Matt Strom, 
Tyler Glass now. That was good. Good for a time, yes. Uh, let's see. Brad Peacock. Yeah. One pick ahead of Kirby Yates. Oh, I took Brad <laughs> Peacock and Scott took Kirby Yates. That worked out. Yeah. Good pick, Scott. Uh, Colin McHugh. Oh, he was great. Uh, that was good for about a month. Brad <laughs> Keller. No. Yuck. Uh, he's, no. Pretty, he's, he's actually not bad in a points league. He'd be better if the Royals gave him a chance to win some games. But. Isn't it? Doesn't Brad Keller feel like he should be 29 years old? But yeah, he's only 24. He's 24. Right? That blows my mind every time I go to his fan, his baseball reference page. I, I took him in a dynasty startup because I had that same revelation. Like, oh, this guy's got a long career of a boring four ERA. <laughs> Corbin great. Burns and Julio Arias taken just ahead of Josh Hader. Um, Burns was, like, historically terrible. Kyle Wright, Dakota Hudson. Not good. And of course, Hudson was okay. My last pick, round twenty-one, Greg Bird. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly a spark, but as always, (laughs) a spark. Oh, I thought he's a spark. He's a spark. There you go. (laughs) Spark only for pocket aces. Uh, Yeah, yeah. He's the the spark that ignites the powder keg that blows up your team. (laughs) There you go. The last point that I'll add on sparps. I am anti-sparps all the way. Let's. Get relief pitchers. Let's get closers back in those Whoa. relief pitcher spots this is, in points leagues. This is the last. You should have led with that. That's explosive. Let's go. Let's wow. go. If I was a fantasy politician, my my slogan would be like anti sparps. Like that would it would be built around something like that. Like let's get closers back in our relief pitcher spots. My home league, we play with two relief pitcher spots. You can only use closers. No sparps allowed. And that's exactly how it should be in head to head points leagues. Apologies once again for not getting to your emails. I realize that I'm failing at getting to your emails, but it's okay because I acknowledge it. So that makes everything all right. But we we will have a mailbag uh, at some point this week on one of our two remaining podcasts. So apologies, but we will get to your questions. For Scotty Dubs, for CPT, and Ethan Towers, for Pocket Aces, I am Frank. Hopefully I'll have a nickname on tomorrow's show. Bye-bye.